0: is that sexual violence is so widespread and no matter what your gender is no matter what your sexual orientation is your age your race socioeconomics, it, it, this impacts everybody
1: hey there you're listening to virago pod a podcast that is dedicated to empowering and improving the physical and mental health of female athletes everywhere This
2: podcast is brought to you by The Virago Project, a nonprofit organization that helps female athletes balance sports with life.
1: I'm your host, Emily McGee Zizlowski.
2: And I'm your co-host, Taylor Tracy. Let's jump right into the episode.
1: Hello, Virago Warriors, and welcome back to episode 18 of Virago Pod. Let me start off by saying, while graphic language isn't necessarily used in today's podcast, it does contain subject matter that many listeners may find triggering and explicit um, when we're talking about sexual assault and domestic violence. So I just want to give our listeners a heads up to do a little mental health check-in before they listen to this episode. We'll also be providing some resources for support in uh, the description in our, our podcast. So please check that out. Today's episode is sort of a part two to episode 16 discussion with student-athlete Rachel on sexual misconduct on college campuses. If you haven't listened to episode 16, that's okay, but I do highly encourage you to listen to that one also. Uh, This one does stand alone without any needed context from that episode, so feel free to keep listening. Today joining us, we have Zanab Shah. She is the Program Coordinator for Victim Advocacy at Student Wellness at the University of Delaware, where she focuses on providing information to students on topics like sexual assault, dating or domestic violence, and stalking. While this topic strays a little bit from our traditional athletic-themed podcasts, these are issues that are impacting women athletes at alarming rates. In a study sampling 20 NCAA Division I studies, Uh, Although male athletes made up 3.3% of the male population on these campuses, they accounted for 19% of the sexual assault cases. So not only is this a problem within the athletic community, but if you remember our episode with Blair uh, and Taylor on dating and relationships, all three of us expressed dating athletes in college and is an experience that I know on our campus was pretty regular. So this is extremely, extremely relevant to women athletes. In fact, uh, this episode is on two topics that are extremely passionate to me, uh, as I was a victim at UNC of sexual assault in 2009 and a victim of domestic violence a few years later. I've talked pretty openly about my depression on these podcasts, Uh, something I've struggled with since I was 10 years old, but these uh, these two events really impacted my mental health and kind of brought me back to rock bottom of any progress that I had in my mental health journey and these are conversations that need to be had by women uh, because of how prevalent these issues are. If you take one thing from this episode, I'd encourage you to take a minute uh, to get familiar with the resources. If you're still in school right now, take a look at the resources and just send them to your teammates just so they have it. It doesn't have to be something flashy or, or even that deep text, it can be really simple. Like, hey, I heard a podcast and I wanted to check out the resources available on our campus, I thought, um, everyone should have these resources. And if you're post-graduating, take a look as well, Um, or if you've already graduated rather. Um, I know when it was happening to me, I felt so alone sometimes, and I wish I would have known that there was numbers I could text or online chats that I could just chat with someone during these times. So uh, even just having a website or phone number saved in your notes could come in handy for you or a friend someday when they need it. Uh, All right, without further delay, let's bring on Zanab for today's episode. All right. So after our last podcast with Rachel, who was a fellow student athlete, Taylor and I wanted to find someone on some sort of campus support services who could give us a different view of the situation and ask some of the questions we had. So we reached out to the University of Delaware, who I found on Instagram, and they have a victim advocacy service uh, that focuses on sexual assault and dating and domestic violence. Zanub Shah will be joining us today, not only giving us a follow up question I had from episode 15 with Rachel, but also uh, some additional resources on sexual assault and dating domestic violence that is, unfortunately is extremely prevalent on college campuses. So first, uh, Zanub, can you fill our listeners in on what you do and why you got into this field?
0: Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be joining joining you today. So my name is Zenab Shah. I am the program coordinator for victim advocacy at the University of Delaware. Our office is the Office of Student Wellness and Health Promotion. So basically what I do for my job is I work with students who have experienced different forms of sexual violence, dating and domestic violence and stalking what victim advocates do is really kind of navigate finding resources for a person who's experienced different forms of harm. So figuring out if if they want to go through the criminal justice system and providing support throughout that, go through a Title IX case, connect them with resources um, in regards to counseling, extra support like that, help them with academic support. Basically, kind of, I'm a, a point of contact to to get them the the things that they need. And then we also do a lot of education through our office. So I'm involved with some of the education in our office, but we also have a few people in our office whose jobs
1: are solely to do um, the education
0: prevention work. So
1: I, I love when I found you guys on Instagram, I was like, this is such a great section of student wellness that I wish UNC had. But then I looked and there was a section on that. And like, I, mm-hmm. I did not know about it at all. So I think really just even I was so glad you agreed to come on because I think that this is probably something that a lot of campuses may in fact have. This isn't something necessarily completely unique or a position that's there, but like I had never heard of it and I, I was there and I I struggled with these things while I was in college, but I just didn't even have the resources to really know that this existed. So I'm really excited to have you joining us today. So thank you so yeah. much.
0: Yeah, I think that that's one of the the big issues with the work that I do is it's usually something that people don't pay attention to until they actually need it. So, you know, a lot of resources are there, and there are a lot of amazing resources for, for people who've experienced harm.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think, the so, you know social media can have a lot of pros and cons but i think definitely one of the the pros is the social media pages and the, the amount of people i found in the the advocacy world just from our connection in this like nonprofit is amazing so i think as students continue to like um you know, kind of grow and share these pages because your, your guys's page is phenomenal and it has lots of great resources. So uh, I think that's you. one of the, uh, the pros. So if you uh, are listening and your school does not have one, check out the University of Delaware's because although it's obviously some <laughs> are typical to their school, a lot of it is in general, um, you know, topical to every college campus as well.
0: Yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we have a lot of, um, on our social media, we do have a lot of interns and volunteers, um, student volunteers, who help us with creating some of the content for that. So we really try and make it student focused, um, which is really cool. And I mean, we have some amazing students who've done some amazing work with it. So I'm glad... I'm glad that other people are noticing their amazing work and the work that we do within our office in general.
1: Yeah, and I'll be sure to tag them in the description of the podcast below, so make sure um, you check out the description if you're looking for it. Okay, so before we start officially on today's episode, you mentioned in our email correspondence that you prefer to call like the the sec part two of this conversation today, dating or domestic violence and using both of them. You said they are very similar, but they each have their nuances. Um, I didn't really dig into it, but I'm just curious if you can give kind of a, a brief overview of why you use both and the similarities and differences.
0: Yeah, I um, I think that that's kind of been a change since I started working in higher ed, because it's really kind of driven by a lot of the policies that are out there. So a lot of our policy definition, I'm not going to go through the entire policy, because it's pretty, pretty long and intensive. Sure. But they do make that distinction about what dom- domestic violence is and what dating violence is. And so one of the things is just making the distinction that dating violence can be any sort of dating relationship. So, um, any sort of that intimate uh, partner relationship and domestic violence can be a little bit broader than that. And so talking about family, talking about people who are really kind of cohabitating in a house. So you could talk about kids, you could talk about different types of family members. So not just people who are in intimate relationship. Oftentimes people use those terms interchangeably, but I think sometimes, uh, especially for the, the population that we work with. Um, domestic violence is, is almost looked at as something that older people experience because it's like a spouse or something like that. And so that's kind of why I like making that distinction because I think sometimes people respond more to dating violence or can I, identify more with the, the term dating um, than domestic.
1: I think you know? that makes a lot of that sense. And I thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I, I had that connotation too of when you said that, and that's why I asked it, The domestic violence was like, For a married couple, which I knew, like right when I was thinking, I don't know why I had that feeling or that that identification with it, but that's just kind of how, like you know, like maybe Hollywood—it's more kind of that married spouse dynamic for domestic violence. When really, in college campuses, dating violence is a lot of times similar and you know still just as dangerous and needs just as much support for it. So I think that's a very interesting uh, difference. So. I mentioned to Rachel and and we, we talked after the episode as well. And we were trying to figure out like what we had questions with on our last podcast episode. And one of the main things that we kind of struggled on the episode on was trying to figure out good language we could use. So we want within our friend group and our teams to promote healthy sex communication among friends. Like we don't, sex positivity, but we don't want Anyone to feel pressured, so no slut shaming, but no one to feel pressured mm-hmm. to have sex in order to fit in with our our group or our team or our friends. So, how can we create this type of culture among our team or friend group?
0: Yeah, I absolutely love this question. I think this is one of my my favorite things to talk about in regards to talking about sex and the language that we use. I I know people in our office and also myself like we're big sticklers for language, and so I think that that's really important and. So one of the things that I was thinking about is sometimes we use the term sex positivity and pro-sex interchangeably. And the more you get into sex education and things like that, you'll do that more. And so I actually love the term sex positivity because it doesn't have this connotation of like promoting sex. um, But really what it's doing is reframing the way that sex is talked about in our society. So you're not saying like yes everybody go have sex do all of that stuff it's really talking about reframing what the messages that we've gotten in our society about sex is if that makes sense you know so being sex positive is really i think to me focusing more on the autonomy Um, So When you're having conversations about sex, it's really about making the choices that feel best for you, which is, I think, pretty inclusive because you're talking about if you want to have sex with a bunch of people, as long as it's consensual and safe, like that's great. If you are asexual and there's certain things that you don't want to do or you don't want to have any sort of relationship that has some sort of physical aspect to it, that's totally okay. Really talking about sex positivity is really focusing on that autonomy and also understanding that sex isn't necessarily positive for everyone. Sex mm-hmm. can be associated with different traumas that people experience. But if you have these conversations, it's really focusing on, on a choice that people are making and kind of coming up with this understanding that you're not promoting sex you're not saying everybody should just go out and have sex all the time it's really focusing on what feels best for someone what's the most pleasurable experience for someone and pleasure doesn't necessarily mean sex pleasure can be so many different things but also it can be sex sex should be something that's very pleasurable so i think just having these discussions like starting off these discussions talking about um talking about sex in a group, I think that's something that's really powerful and really important people don't tend to do that. Or when people have conversations about sex, it's often very sexualized um, mm-hmm. and kind of making that distinction of being able to talk about this stuff in a group setting where it's not sexualized, you're just kind of talking about either experiences or what people want in their their relationships various things like that that that's really important so I think what you're doing and having these conversations that is just amazing and that's not something that's common I think or it's talked about as like you have to have sex to be cool or something like that you know it's really just talking about what your wants and needs are if that makes sense
2: yeah like like One thing that I just thought of when you were talking about that um, was just like the gender expectations to growing up. I remember in high school and even in college, like if a girl chose to explore her sexuality, um, just one man or one, I guess, you know, guy, boy, we were in college, I wouldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. call us men or women at that point, but still at the age where we were interested in exploring our sexuality, for women all the time, like the word slut and like, ho and whatever else was just thrown at anyone who, um, if they were ever to have sex with someone. And I, at the time, like, I don't think there was a huge awareness of like gender expectations. And like, traditionally, like women, are being expected to hold it in their pants and like chastity belts and all of these other antiquated ideas that are out there and kind of shape our perception of sex so i really like the idea of autonomy and instead of slut-shaming someone for Mm -hmm. you know doing what feels good to them be like it's your body it's your choice as long as you're being real with yourself and like you're going about this in a healthy way that actually feels good to you, phys- not just physically but also mentally. Like, what's what's the harm there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it it made me think of this idea of women are kind of put into these boxes of either you're a slut or you're a virgin, and there's kind of mm-hmm. like no in between. But both of both of those terms are social constructs, and I mean. Right. My friends and my coworkers will tell you I'll go on my soapbox about virginity <laughs> as a social construct because they really have different definitions depending on who you're talking about. And usually they're a very heteronormative um, way of talking about stuff. And so, mm-hmm. kind of getting rid of this dichotomy that we exist in, that we put women in, um, I think is really, really important. And just kind of making it about what feels good and right to the person
2: right and what women put them women put themselves in that dichotomy as well which is yeah for sure we need to realize like we don't even realize we're doing it because it's normalized but like we're sticking ourselves back into those boxes when we're um poking fun at the girl who you know wants to have sex and enjoys it uh, enjoys it and isn't great yeah. to go do it so
1: i think that's important to recognize here too yeah Yes, Taylor and Zanab, uh, I, I feel like this could be its own podcast episode, um, but switching gears a bit again, the, the one last question, I guess, on sexual assault as a follow-up from last episode is just from your experience and hearing people, what they come in with and what questions they ask, um, or maybe even what biases they have, what are some misconceptions when it comes to sexual assault?
0: there's so many misconceptions. (laughs) I could talk all day for them. I think, I think one of the things that I I kind of touched on earlier is, is oftentimes we, we don't pay attention to the resources, the education, all of that stuff about this until we need it either for ourselves or for people that are close to us who have had these experiences. So I think reality is that sexual violence is so widespread and no matter what, your gender is, no matter what your sexual orientation is, your age, your race, socioeconomics. this impacts everybody. Of course, I hate talking about it like that because I, I don't wanna use scare tactics or anything like that and that's not my intent. I think it's just understanding that it's important to pay attention to these resources. Even if you don't need them yourself, having them kind of in your back pocket if, if someone you know is has experienced this, I think is just so beneficial. And I think that one of the other things that I I think is a misconception is kind of that there's these like very specific situations that people experience. So if I don't look like this, this and this, or if my situation doesn't look like this, this and this, then maybe it's not sexual assault but my my thing as a, as a helping person as an advocate is if something feels off if something feels wrong you know yourself better than anybody else and so trust yourself and there are resources who can help you kind of navigate what that means so even if it might not be sexual assault if it's if it's you know sexual harassment or sexual exploitation all of these different forms of violence or harm it it looks different for each person, um, and so to yourself, if something feels off, and know that there are people here who are just gonna listen and believe you and support you if you need. I think those are kind of my my two things. I I think that I just really want people to know that that there are resources out there. I think is is kind of. And just like you kind of talked about at the beginning is you didn't know some of the stuff existed on your own campus. Most people don't know that these resources are out there. Most people don't know what an advocate is. Um, and so I think just kind of understanding that piece of things I think is really important.
1: Yeah, so I was, um you know, I, I touched on it a little bit, but I, I don't like really going into the details much with, you know, people I love and, or let alone strangers on my podcast. But so I was sexually assaulted my freshman year. And it, it, and it's just the weird things of, of, I didn't know the, like, not just that I didn't know the resources. I knew it didn't feel right. I knew it was wrong. But since I was drinking, um, I all of a sudden just I was like, well, I was also in the wrong. And so then like I I get like it seems so silly saying it now but when you're an underage college student even though I was not on the other things that were people blame I was not dressed provocatively I was actually a virgin it's not, and it was one of my friends I like didn't go back with a stranger it was in my own it was like in my not my dorm room but someone who lived in my dorm um so it, it's like but I 100% did not think that and it's not even like society was telling me that. Like I felt like I was in the wrong because I was drinking. So it was something that I just didn't even like realize. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because I'm not 21 and I can't really do anything about it. And I can't tell anyone about it because I might get kicked out of school because I was drinking underage. Um, do you do you find, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, is that something that's a common trend or like that's, something that's like, yeah. blaming themselves almost even, not even worried about society?
0: Yeah, no, I think that, well, one, I just want to, Say thank you for sharing that with me. I know that it's it's really hard to talk about your own experiences of victimization, especially with someone that you don't you don't know very well, let alone a, a podcast. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's that's. I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but I I think that on college campuses there is definitely a lot of conversations about the use of drug and alcohol and sexual violence. Which one of the interesting things about our office and I, I think one of the really beneficial things is our substance use counselors are actually situated in student wellness and health promotion. So we kind of have both of those things because we do see a connection with them. I think self-blame is is so rampant when it comes to to people who have experienced different forms of victimization, and especially when you're talking about being under the influence. And the thing is, is you can't give consent if you are under the influence of, of drugs and alcohol. And I, and I say like, you know, people who are very inebriated and all of that stuff, you know, it's really common to see that happen in sexual assault cases, especially on a campus. And so there's oftentimes policies that actually give amnesty to people who are drinking underage and who have experienced um, sexual harm or sexual violence Um, dating violence, all of that. So at our institution, we do have an amnesty policy because we want people to access resources. Even if they have been drinking, all of that stuff, we still want them to be able to access resources and get that support and help. Um, And so I can't speak for other campuses, but I think that that's one of the really cool things about the University of Delaware is, is you're, you're not gonna get kicked out if you access resources Or if you call for help for someone who needs help, we really want you to get connected with that support. And one of the number one things that I will always tell any single person who's sitting in front of me is it's not your fault. It doesn't matter if you've been drinking. It doesn't matter if you were doing, you know, X, Y, Z, it's not your fault. Someone chose to do this to you and that's on them. And so... Mm. I'm really here to support them and remind them of that throughout, because it's not going to take. Self blame is not something that goes away just because someone tells you that it's not your fault. But I will continuously remind every single person that I meet, it's not your fault, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of work through what those emotions are, because I know that it's it is a process to work through that. So, Mm -hmm.
1: and I will add, if you're listening and you feel those feelings that it is your fault, I will say I I personally felt those feelings every single day for a long time Then I felt it once a week and then once a month. And it's been um, over, I mean, it's been over 10 years now. And I don't, like, I know for a fact, it's not my fault. And I honestly don't even think about it. So I will say like, while that's part of my story. I just want to say like, I, when I was in the moment and while I was healing, I really felt like it would never get better. And for me, you know, I know it's different for everyone, but I, it was overwhelming with the concept that I may feel that sense of guilt for the rest of my life. And for me, I was able uh, with a lot of therapy and um, a lot of support from friends and family when I did start opening up about it. But I will say talking to someone really did help me. And that was the first step that I took that like really just saying it and hearing someone say it seems so trivial, but someone saying, it's not your fault did make a huge impact to me and like other people not asking me those victim blaming questions. So um, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, like, you to keep saying it, to everyone, anyone, if someone, you know, opens up to you about that, make sure you say it, because honestly, it, it seems like very simple words, but you, it's, was overwhelming. And so when people say that, it does help. So I just want to say thank you as well for um, kind of validating what I went through.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that that that's so important. And I think one of the the unfortunate things is we don't really know how to help people and support people like our friends and family members who have had different experiences of of any sort of victimization um, let alone talking specifically about sexual violence and dating violence and just being able to get some like certain terms or certain certain phrases to be able to use like it's not your fault or I'm here for you and just telling people and educating people about what you can do to support someone those Go a long way, and really have
1: a huge impact
0: on whoever is listening to you say that. Yeah,
1: no, I, I agree, and and thank you again. Um, so I guess again, slightly switching gears to that dating or domestic violence um, aspect of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was looking at your profile, and this is a topic that I definitely think we need to cover um, as well. So when I saw that, that's also part of what you do, and I definitely wanted to to ask you about that as well. So kind of same question, what are some misconceptions um, in the dating or domestic violence space that you can bring awareness to for our listeners?
0: Yeah, so I think that for me, and again, this is one of my soapboxes that I go on all the time is is understanding that dating and domestic violence are part of sexual misconduct. So at the university and i know many other institutions have this our policy is written as the sexual misconduct policy and so oftentimes people automatically just assume that that is specific to sexual violence and the different forms of sexual violence and i know it's different in different places so i can't speak across the board but one of the things that i frequently have to Talk to people about is this is actually dating and domestic violence are actually part of that policy. So if you do want to make a report or if you do want to access those resources, like you very much can. And so that's that's a huge misconception that I think people have is oftentimes people hear sexual or sexual misconduct or things like that and just assume that they don't have any validity in, in accessing those resources, um, but those do exist for dating and domestic violence. Um, I think that. Another misconception is that dating and domestic violence is something that happens to people who are older, when in many women 16 to 24 experience rates uh, triple the national average. So it's one of the highest groups of people who experience uh, different forms of dating and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's real, you know, I see that on college campuses, but I also see the lack of, um, you know, the data of people who are actually accessing the resources and stuff, it it doesn't match up. Um, And so I know it's happening more than what I even have access to, you know. And so I think that that just understanding that this is something that really does happen and also take people seriously when they're going through situations like this. And dating and domestic violence isn't just physical violence. It encompasses so much more. It's the psychological violence, the verbal abuse, Mm -hmm. um, financial violence. And, you know, as technology has has uh, expanded. we see a lot more digital violence too so you know using technology to stalk someone or to harass them abuse them through through that it's there dating violence can look like so many different things so it's not necessarily what we might have in our head of of someone punching someone it it very much could be but there's just so much more to
1: it and i'm assuming you you mentioned all these things because those are things that you know, you see not, I don't want to say regularly, but those things all do in fact happen in college. Like I'm shocked with that age demographic, honestly, because obviously the misconceptions are, you know, you see that in like a 50 year old couple who's been married for 30 years Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's all that stuff. So it's just really interesting to hear that it it's, you know, most prevalent in these young ages. I, do you, do you know why that age is more susceptible um, these, these young ages?
0: I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I think you could attribute to that. I think one is that people don't necessarily take relationships of younger people as seriously. It's like, oh, you're not actually experiencing that because your relationship isn't real, which I think just does a huge disservice to, to people. I mean, these relationships are real and they're real to the person. So even if you might view something as a certain way, like, this is the reality for the person who's going through it. So I think that 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 is a huge barrier. But I think also, you know, this is the age where you're starting to have relationships for the first time. You are starting to have more intense relationships, you know, especially when you get to college. You're, you might be having your first, like, longer term relationship, things like that. And so this age group is really an age group where you're seeing a lot more dating for the first time, you're seeing a lot more kind of ex- experimenting with like what what exactly dating means to you and or hooking up or whatever terminology you wanna use. And I think with that comes the idea that we don't actually teach people how to have healthy relationships. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we aren't teaching people like This is what a a healthy relationship looks like. This is what an unhealthy relationship looks Mm -hmm. like. And so um, one of the things that I think is really important to realize is you can see how often I I talk about this stuff because I just know these statistics off the top of my head. But about 57% of college students don't know how to identify domestic violence or dating violence. And about 58% don't know how to help. So I think that that's a huge piece of it too. Is is you is there's a lack of recognition of what it is, and relationships really exist on a spectrum. It's not like this is what a healthy relationship is, and this is what a toxic or abusive relationship is. It's really a spectrum of you can have, you know, something that's not abusive but also not healthy. Uh, you know, it it kind of exists on that spectrum, and we don't have these conversations about expectations and relationships or what your boundaries are, what your um, what you value in your relationship. And we don't teach young people how to have relationships and maintain those relationships. And so I think that it's it's really important to start to have those conversations so people can identify when it does turn unhealthy, when it does turn toxic or abusive.
2: Yeah. I feel like like Hollywood and porn plays such a huge role in that with young people um just seeing those kinds of relationships played out on tv played out if they're watching porn in their bedroom and bringing believing that that's the way that things should happen in the real world believing that the way that conflicts are handled in those situations and on the screens in front of them are the ways that they should be handled in real life. And I know like, especially within athletic communities, I think that like sexual misconduct, a lot of the time, like it happens a lot of the time, but isn't necessarily touched on. And I know that with the women, especially at younger ages, um, we're at this point where we haven't necessarily like stepped into our full power in terms of like who we are as women and like understanding the way that we we should be treated. Um, And there's a lot of toxic masculinity in athletics as well. So yeah, I just like have so many thoughts on young people and athletes on this topic. And I feel like there could just be like so much said about just like the gender dynamics there and how that plays into sexual misconduct and our community especially?
0: Yeah, I think that gender roles are so real and especially certain places it's even a lot more rigid. Like I, I hear you talking about how how in athletics those gender roles are just a lot more rigid than in other spaces it might mm-hmm. be. And so I think that thinking about like media, um, I know, you know, one of the things when I was in I don't know, middle school or high school was probably middle school Mm -hmm. was twilight. (laughs) It became kind of that like that mainstream thing. And it was looked at as this like amazing romantic relationship, (laughs) which you know, I recently actually rewatched it and like as an adult and as someone who now does this work, I'm like, how did I not see how problematic this was? But it completely went over my head when I was Mm -hmm. younger. And so just things like that of we romanticize violence, like we romanticize people who like show up randomly in like spaces where they shouldn't be. And that's, you know, stalk, I mean, not always, but like that could be stalking. And we we romanticize some of these really problematic behaviors, which is uh, really, you know, just so, yeah. (laughs) But one of the other things I kind of wanted to mention talking about athletes is I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the um, One Love Foundation, Mm -hmm. which um, I don't know if you've heard about the One Love Foundation, but they really talk a a lot about, They do a lot of education, but they do a lot of talking about um, healthy relationships, relationships in general, and talking about domestic violence. Um, It was actually started by these two parents of Yardley Love, who was killed in an abusive relationship, and Yardley Love was student athlete, and so it they do a lot of work with athletes and, and things like that. So One Love Foundation is a really great resource um, for different uh, different education information, just all of that. So that's my little plug. Oh, for thank them. <laughs> you. I feel
2: like we did a um, like some kind of course with them. My freshman or sophomore year at Carolina, I remember watching yeah. some videos and some educational course. And one love sounds familiar, but we'll definitely have to plug that in the description as well.
1: Yeah, so I, I remember the yeah. story. I remember the story. Yeah, I, I didn't. I'll have to check out that. Um, I haven't. I haven't seen the foundation. Uh, and so I wanted to uh, touch briefly on something that. Well, I guess that. All of you have said, and it reminds me kind of back to the conversation, like with the age of figuring out relationships, we had a um, PhD candidate getting her like counseling psychology PhD. And she was talking about like, Uh, Taylor brought up the point of emotionally IQ and like, why are we better off now as we're approaching 30? And it's, it's because exactly like you said, like we were still figuring out what's healthy, what's unhealthy. We were still like learning how to define boundaries because like we all kind of roasted ourselves uh, talking about our college relationships, how we didn't always have, like how you said on the spectrum, Uh, we would say generally they were like, we were healthy partners in that relationship, but we had unhealthy uh, tendencies when we wouldn't define our boundaries, if that makes sense. So they would do something that would be, Mm -hmm. you know, objectively wrong, I would say to do in a relationship. And instead of having like the tools to say, like, that was unacceptable, and knowing the boundaries, we would kind of be unhealthy in return. And then it's uh, this unhealthy cycle Mm -hmm. just kept continuing. And I would like to think that, you know, Taylor, myself and Blair are all good, you know, the quote, unquote, good people. But like, anyone can find themselves in these unhealthy things because exactly like you said you're not like trained to for relationships you just don't really know what you're doing right so i think that's um a really good good point you brought up
0: yeah yeah i mean i if if it was up to me i would educate every single person starting from a very young age about about respect and relationships and sex because i think that that's really missing and i think that we also assume that college students come to campus with a lot of knowledge that they really don't have. Like, you know, we start talking about consent education when a lot of people don't get basic sex ed. So they don't even know things about anatomy and just basic stuff about sex. And I think we have the same about relationships. We expect people to act a certain way in a relationship but they don't know basics of how to even maintain a relationship. And so, it's And that's not to excuse behavior, it's not to say like, oh, you didn't know what you were doing, so you aren't responsible for the harm you caused. I th- but it, I think it is in doing the education piece of things and doing the prevention piece of things, I think that that's kind of where a lot of our conversations kind of end up is kind of figuring out what, what are those gaps that people are coming to college with.
1: I, like, in my own relationships, I did not, um, like, for me, love was someone, and probably also, this is, like, the Hollywood thing, right? Love is, some, love, love is someone who's always going to fight for you. They're going to say sorry if they do something wrong. They're going to do these grand gestures. They're going to do all these things. So, like, I was in a physically abusive relationship, and they were amazing at apologies. They were amazing mm-hmm. at these grand gestures, these beautiful Instagram posts, these luxurious presence and for me like i was like well he is sorry like and and so it's just like this trap of like that to me and i genuinely like until it got physical there was like some other uh, like how you said it's a spectrum of abuse but until it got actually physically abusive was i not like i really thought it was a sign of love and i was like it was the greatest thing because instead of being dismissive like some other guys who would just like if i brought up conflict they would just like. Oh, you're dramatic you're crazy they just wouldn't like they would just leave like for someone to stay so I think I think it's you know a really important thing you're talking about of the education on you know we're learning I'm trying to think of the last time I used pre-calc I took how many hours of class in pre-calc but I didn't know what like a basic healthy relationship was I didn't know what consent was It's, it's, It's it's I just don't know how to even go about to start changing these things
0: yeah and I mean there is some really great work um one of my my previous roles I worked for a state coalition um domestic violence coalition and we got federal grant money through the Center for Disease Control um to do prevention work and so we went into schools we started doing uh, like creating curriculum we started doing things like that to start having these conversations and this is something that was happening across the country there was states across the country who were engaging in this and i I have so many people that I have connections with across the country because of this, um, that I know they're doing some pretty incredible work. But it's there's a lot of pushback <laughs> when you start to talk about like, hey, we want to talk about sex and relationships to young people. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't think that that's that's good, or people think that you're pushing people into having sex and and relationships at a young age, and that's not at all what we're doing. We're trying to develop the tools that people need in order to have safe, healthy, respectful, equitable relationships. And one of the other things you you said is that made me think of this. And this is also one of one of the things that I talk about a lot is this idea of why someone stays that like, that's the number one question that I, I hear when people ask what I do. And all of that stuff is why would someone stay in an abusive relationship? And I can tell you right now that that's if you ask anybody who's going through an abusive relationship, if you ask that question of why do you stay, it's going to completely turn them off to you and you are no longer going to be a resource for them because people have different reasons for staying, whether it be love, you know, because emotions are a huge piece of why people are in relationships in the first place. Even if it's abusive, that that connection that you have with that person is still there. Or whether it be financial reasons, because financial reasons are a huge, huge piece why people stay in re- in abusive relationships, or children, or you know, because it's safer. Because the fear of the known is better than the fear of the unknown. And also, the most dangerous time in a relationship is when someone is leaving the relationship or accessing resources.
1: I think that's so important because um, it's just something that I, I, I mean. It, and it, and people, I mean, you see it tw- trending. I remember the trend on Twitter of like hashtag Why I Stayed because it's like it's the number one thing that people do, um, and you don't think about it. And it, it might not be those exact verbiages, but um, it was. Um, it's it's crazy the pressure that people put on you, and so it, mm-hmm. I I think mm-hmm. people just need to be extremely supportive. And and the friends that helped me the most. Um, so if you're listening to this, and and you ha- you know have a friend who might be doing this, we're just the ones that no judgment. The ones like, like she's, like she's saying is, we're just there and supportive and never questioned. um, And, you know, didn't make them feel guilty, because I promise you, they already feel like they don't have many options. So to be isolated from, you know, the few people that they trusted to tell is just um, really disheartening.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I see it so much. And I, I actually, one of the things that I love a lot about The work that I do is when I get to connect with friends and family members because I have people who will call our helpline or who will come in or just people in my life who will say, hey, I know this person. What can I do? And I'm like, honestly, the best thing that you can do is is just listen to them, believe them, support them.
1: What um, so what other conversations on and it can be on either side of these when it comes to uh, sexual assault, I guess. What is third under now that we know this is all considered sexual misconduct? Um, what conversations should we be having with young women to either educate or to help advocate for victims of sexual misconduct? And what are some things your campus is doing that we should take note of?
0: Yeah, I think I mean having conversations like this I think is is really powerful. And and even talking about what you were you were talking about before with with the climate that you want to create on your team and and talking about sex and and all of that stuff, that's all really important. Talking about values, something that I, I talk a lot about with people is, is what do you value in your relationships? What makes you feel safe and supported in your relationships? Um, and kind of focusing a lot more on, on what someone might expect in a healthy relationship, because I think we don't, again, as we've talked about before, we don't teach about what healthy relationships are. So kind of focusing a lot on that, I think, is really important because I don't like just talking about the the unhappy stuff about sex and relationships uh, because there's a lot of really amazing and beautiful things that can come out of sex and relationships and and pleasure and all of that stuff and so kind of having those conversations about what that looks like and how does that fit in with the relationship that you do have something that we had mentioned before is you don't necessarily know what your boundaries are or assert your boundaries until your boundaries have been crossed. So I think it's important to kind of reflect on what those boundaries are before they get crossed so you can kind of talk about it because it's a lot easier talking about what your boundaries are before they're crossed than it is after when you're dealing with with an issue. So boundaries to me, I mean, I, I've had so many conversations about boundaries and not just about sex and relationships, about What are your boundaries with with time what are your boundaries with your roommates what are your boundaries with um with what your schedule is like just all of these different things i think are really important that we don't talk about especially self-care has become such a huge topic as of late and self-care i think is uh, self-care is just such an important thing. And, uh, and talking about how self-care is really doing the work on yourself. So kind of figuring out what your boundaries are, fi- figuring out what those those values are. And I think conversations to be had is is talking to people about what, what we want to see in our friends' relationships. Like, I know I've had conversations with people who I, I'll t- talk about. You deserve to feel safe and equitable and respected and valued in your relationship. And so I want to make sure that that's happening. Can we talk like if I like, of course, I, I'm an advocate. So I, I do have certain training, but I also have to maintain my my boundaries with my friends. So I don't try and be an advocate for them um, and step in their their relationships in that way. But I think starting those conversations is really important, even as a friend, when we're trying to give support to people and all of that stuff. You know, knowledge is power. So so having these conversations about what is a healthy relationship talking about what you expect talking about all of these things that's really just so important thinking about what we're doing on our campus we we do a lot of education on our campus and one of the things that i think is really cool is a lot of the education that we do is focused in specific groups especially marginalized groups so we do a lot of work with international students because we have a large international student population on our campus you know talking about this stuff in Disability communities. We do a lot of work with athletics, just various things like that. I think is is something that I, I really value that we do on this campus. And then also one of the things that has been really important for us as of late, um, I mean, in the past couple of years, is really kind of talking about language and being really intentional with language. And so one of the things that we've talked about is instead of using victim survivor language talking about it in the context of someone who's experienced harm, because something that we've noticed is people really have strong opinions about how they are identified or how they identify themselves. So sometimes people really don't like the terms victim and survivor, and they don't agree with that, even if they've had experiences that we would typically categorize them as a victim or a survivor. Sometimes using the person first language, like people who have experienced harm or people who have caused harm sometimes actually is a little bit easier for people to hear, thinking about that language shift. Um, And just in general, being a lot more intentional about language, I think is really important. I know we've done a lot of bystander intervention education, which I think is is big. And right now, we're also kind of reworking what that looks like to make sure it's very inclusive um, for all different communities, because bystander intervention does create power differentials and so sometimes it's safe for certain people to intervene and sometimes it's not and so kind of figuring out how we can address that so all communities can engage in bystander intervention kind of how can we engage in bystander intervention stuff um, before an incident occurs so talking about you know sexist comments how do you bias- how do you be an active bystander with that or racism and you know understanding that these issues exist Together, they they don't exist in silos, and so it's important to kind of be a bystander for all of these things. If you want to,
1: I feel like that could have been like the entire podcast in what like, one answer of what we're doing. But, like for things to change, <laughs> the, the 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 two things that really stuck out to me that I I took note of during that is I love where you said, let's let's switch our conversations um, and talk more about focusing on like the positive, like positive relationships, these positive interactions, like because exactly that like. It's it's hard when you're teaching these things because you're like, it's really hard. I know like growing up, I was always like, Oh, I well, will never be in an abusive relationship. Like, so what good is it to for me to learn like don't be in an abusive relationship? Because usually by the time you're in one, it's like you're way down the, you know, the the vortex rabbit hole of an easy break from that. So I, I love where you, you know, you're talking about the positive, even from the friendship view, right? Like, like what real good is it if you say like your boyfriend's a douchebag? he's treating you like an ass. Like he's like, he's like, it's really not the most constructive. He like, even though if you feel those things, the the verbiage you used of like, Hey, I just want to make sure you're feeling respected in your relationship. And like kind of talking more about the, not just the good things, but like, I know in the locker room, a lot of times we would always share our, the negative things that were happening to us, like the sketchy things these guys were doing. And it, it was almost like to normalize them that like, everyone's kind of going through these not so great situations. Uh When in reality, if like, some people would have been like, hey, I, I think it's partially um the, the woman in the locker room, I feel like we put too much pressure on like, just doing the right thing. So we don't get broken up with instead of enough focus on is this a good relationship for us? So I think I kind of, if we would have had those check-ins or someone kind of with the reality check of like, hey, you, you good? You you trust this relationship? You feel safe in this relationship? I think that would have been a lot of good. So I love that you brought that up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's just so important, especially because, you know, one, with people not being able to identify abuse in their relationship, but also because when you're in it, when you're in an abusive relationship, oftentimes the behaviors feel so normalized. So it just feels like something normal. And let alone if you've had experience before with domestic violence, either your own personal experience or as a child, if it was something that you saw, oftentimes a lot of these these abusive behaviors are normalized. And so kind of focusing on that positive, like I, I would never tell someone like you're in an abusive relationship. Like that, that's not my place. I, I will have conversations to get someone to be able to identify that for themselves but I, I think that it's it's really not trying to put labels on people and just kind of talking about like the different aspects of the relationship and sometimes focusing on the positive or what you you want in a relationship and doing things like that kind of gets people to understand or I shouldn't say understand but see their relationship in a different way
1: because I, I agree I I personally like I you said it's different for everyone I did not like the term personally of survivor so that's not something that I just like ever I guess identified with or felt strength from. So your verbiage of people who have experienced or caused harm, I really, really like because on our last po- like on our last podcast with Rachel, we were talking about how we do know friends who have sexually harassed, who have done, and and it's hard to think of people we love or even think of yourself if you're the one who's like needing the reality check as an abuser, right? So it's it's much easier going to mm-hmm. a friend, someone you love, a teammate, um, and say like hey, I, I think you're causing harm. Because, I mean, I'm not saying that they aren't an abuser. However, it's terminology that, uh, like, I mean, I can 100% relate, like, because I do think I, like, I don't think I'm a victim. I, I I always lean more victim, but like I can always say I have experienced harm. I really like that terminology. And I think it's really mm-hmm. helpful on the shifting of, because no one, like, kind of, like, like how you said like no one's going to listen into a training if they're saying like don't be an abuser they're like well I'm not an abuser but if you have that kind of language that's more I don't want to say inclusive um, I'm not sure if inclusive is the right word but just kind of easier to relate and understand that someone who caused harm may have not done it with the intent of causing harm but they still caused harm so I I really like that as well.
0: Yeah yeah and that's that's kind of been a a more recent shift that we've really tried and Sometimes it's hard because sometimes, you know, we see some of the stuff that happens and even as as someone who 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 does this every day, like I still get angry when I hear some stuff because I'm like, how can this person do this to another person? But I have to check myself because I also do the education piece of things and the prevention and say, you know, this is someone that someone might care about, you know, a lot. And so it's hard to look at them as a perpetrator or abuser. But if you change that language to a person who's caused harm, it completely changes kind of the tone of how you approach it. And it also allows for people to listen more to the messages that you're trying to say, because, you know, if someone's not ready to leave a relationship or do something like that, but if you say something like, oh, this person has caused you harm, that's a lot easier to hear And kind of process than other things. And also, as you were saying, like, if I'm in a classroom and I'm trying to teach, like, don't do this, which I mean, obviously, like, I don't necessarily (laughs) say that, but um, I'm not going to tell someone, like, don't be an abuser, don't be a perpetrator, don't do that. We all have probably caused harm to someone, some form of harm at some point. So we can kind of all recognize that that's something that people can do. So kind of actually gives us a little bit more of a window to be able to have these conversations.
1: You know, that's a great reminder and challenge for campuses everywhere. Um, I think the main thing is like, you're not diminishing. Like if someone comes into your office and they're like, my boyfriend is an abuser. It's like, that can still be true. It's just using this language off the bat of, of just, you know, making sure we're, we're reaching the most number of people as possible. So I think that's, that's really great that you guys are doing that. I remember when the whole survivor when, when we kind of switch verbiage to being a survivor, they're like, don't call him a victim, but I still felt like a victim over a survivor. And so it's, it's one of those things, but some people 100% will feel like a survivor Mm -hmm. as looks, I could totally understand that as well. So I think what you're saying makes sense. You're not saying that you have to call anyone anything that, but I think that's a great approach. Okay. I think this has been a phenomenal conversation with already so many tangible takeaways. And I, I, I've noticed that I've said a few times if someone comes to you or if like you are have a friend who's doing this, but do you have any specific message directly to women who have been victim of either sexual assault or dating or domestic violence?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that the biggest message that I would have to someone is it's not your fault. I know I've said this before, but I, I think that that's That's just one of the most important messages to hear. So it's not your fault, and you're not alone. And there are plenty of people here, not just at the University of Delaware, but, you know, across the country, across the world, really, who are trained in helping support people who have had these experiences. You're not alone. There are people here to support you. And really just trust that you have the strength in you and the resilience in you to get through this.
1: And honestly, so on my first podcast I did with Rachel, I didn't really touch um, into it. And I, I think I spoke like I know someone who drank and, you know, it was obviously just my story. But until I did that podcast and like, it was obviously passionate to me. It was something that impacted my life. But like, we got so many listens and so many people who commented. And it was just like, just saying like, thank you so much for this episode. I'm really looking forward to, you know, when you when you have someone else on. and uh, it's something that's impacted me, like just hearing you guys talk about this and normalize it with something that was really important. so it, it's it's very prevalent. and you know it's it's one of those things that I still kind of have the minimize mindset on sexual assault and domestic violence since both of these things happened to me that I'm kind of like, sometimes I feel like I want to make a bigger deal out of it than it is. So I just kind of minimize it and, and tuck it away and feel like it's not a big deal. So it was kind of like, it's just something that's so passionate to me that i thought maybe one person would relate and the fact that so many people like reached out was a little overwhelming just because it's like just shows unfortunately how prevalent these issues are and i just remember how tough it was right like i remember after both of these instances that were like six years apart my my sexual assault and and the, domestic violence incident and I remember like crying myself to sleep so much and I when you're in it like you are in it and it really just feels like it's never gonna end and it feels like it's not gonna get better and there's like no there was really no light at the end of the tunnel so I'm just gonna say like if if that's like where you're at right now like no matter where in the healing pendulum you are right now just know like it is possible that this, like how you feel today, is not how you're going to feel tomorrow. It's possible it's not how you're going to feel a year from now or five years from now. So I, I think you bringing that up is is really big. You, you are valid, and how you feel today about these things, it, it's um, I don't want to say temporary, but it's um, it's possible that these feelings will get better in time. And I know it's really hard to see at the time.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's just so powerful to hear to hear your story and and just just let people know that they aren't alone and and I just one of the things that you just shared is what you're feeling is valid. I think that that is just such an important thing that that I think we all need to be reminded at times, but especially people who have who've experienced harm is what you're feeling right now is valid. No one has Any right to tell you how you should feel or there's no like prescriptive way of like oh i should be feeling this so i know people who have experienced different forms of violence and they don't feel anything about it like it's not something that that they focus on or anything like that that's okay if you're someone who is really angry that is okay if you're someone who you know i i've I've worked with people who have laughed when they're they've expressed their story because that's just how they they cope with it. And that's okay. So I think just remembering that your feelings are valid, whatever you're feeling, it is valid. And there are people here, you know, I I just I'm so thankful that you're that you have this podcast and that you're talking about this, because it is such a huge issue. And it's such an important issue. And I hear the passion in your voice when you're talking. And it just, it makes me feel really good, because I know that it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, and so there are people here who really care, who want to be there for you. And it is overwhelming knowing how many people.
1: Hope- thank you so much for, you know, making me like, and I feel it's so funny, right? Cause I feel like I just, I'm still really vague. Cause I'm not strong enough to really go into details, but thank you still for, for, I, I guess, you know, in, encouraging me. Cause it does really help. And it just makes me feel, um, again, that it wasn't my, like, it's honestly, I'll never get tired of people telling me that it's not my fault. So thank you. Um, Thank you so much for coming on this episode today. I, I This was a conversation that I'm so glad got to happen and I think will really impact a lot of people.
0: Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to people because, I mean, I, I don't shut up about this stuff. I, I love talking about it.
1: Just thank you so much for taking the time to come on and, uh, and educating and informing us on so many things that... Uh, I you know I didn't know about and when I consider myself a mini expert on these topics so you know my eyes are really open so I just want to thank you so much for taking the time for this it's it's really meaningful for me thank you